All right, welcome everyone to Heal Thyself in this tumultuous time. Thank you for taking your time out to stop everything, listen to this show. Today's going to be a really important one um, because I'm covering uh, something that I would assume that majority of us are experiencing in this time. So um, at least for the last three months and particularly the past week. And then we have a special guest coming in, Kelsey. She's going to really touch on uh, self-love, body love, relationships with food, something all of us can really benefit from, male, female, um, a lot of good gems coming up. So without further ado, why don't we just get straight to the knowledge bomb? All right, anxiety, 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 right? According to Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults in the U.S. age 18 or older. That's about 18.1% of the population. It's a lot of people, right? So for the symptoms that are required for being diagnosed with anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder are feelings of fatigue, right? Uh, being restless, difficulty concentrating, your mind going blank. I know you all have went through that one. Irritability, some muscle tension, sleep disturbances. And only one of these needs to be present in children for them to be diagnosed with anxiety. But I know that we've all felt these symptoms before. Some more symptoms to expand on that. I mentioned the restlessness. Usually for me, I know when I'm going through an anxious episode, it's always my legs that's shaking or my foot that's shaking, right? How about a cardiovascular system? You're going to get an increased heart rate. How about digestively? For me, digestively, I'll have bowel changes or nausea or cramps, heartburn, some bloating. And one of the major telltale signs that there's anxiety going on is I'll have shortness. I won't even breathe. I'll actually find myself holding my breath uh, for quite a while. And then I'll have uh, the shortness of breath, like asthma feelings, like the contraction and tightness in the chest, which is really common across the board. Some muscle tension, sweaty palms, right? Then you have not only the anxiety, but you have the irritability attached to it, right? The anger, the impending doom, right? You can't relax, difficulty concentrating, right? Some people will, will start fixating over and over and over to the point where they have a panic attack. You can have disrupted sleep, insomnia, very common, and then your libido goes down in the dumps. And it can linger. And you may not even know what the inciting factor was. What was your trigger, right? Because sometimes the trigger is not even clear cut. So then all of a sudden you have these symptoms come on slowly or sometimes rapidly, but either way, the end result is the same. You're having this system-wide change in your physiology, right? So what are some major risk factors for anxiety? Well, we're gonna see that chronic stress really lays the foundation for persistent anxiety, right? This chronic, over and over, persistent stress that a lot of us Americans live in, right? We have a stress response with inciting factors. And it's chronic, as I mentioned, but when you have these continuous triggers, you develop a maladaptive stress response, meaning that your body is so well-equipped to handle a lion coming in the room, so well-equipped to handle a cheetah chasing you, you won't outrun it, but so equipped for that. And then when it's, when it's persistent and over time and over and over, and there's not necessarily any threat anymore, but we humans are so good at attaching stories into it, we have this maladaptive stress response where our adrenal glands and our brain aren't on the same page anymore, right? So we're just releasing massive amounts of cortisol in our body and it's having a long-term effect on every system. So as I mentioned, yes, chronic stress is a major risk factor for the chronic anxiety. And just think about it. You'll have 
the inciting factor, but the story will be told. My boss was cold to me today. Therefore, I'm worried. Therefore, my job is in jeopardy. Therefore, I'm going to lose my job. Therefore, I can't pay my bills, right? But in the meantime, you don't know the story that you told if it matches up with the truth of what's happening with your boss, right? Your boss may have just had a bad day. So you can understand how anxiety is really, really tied to our mental dialogue that we have with ourselves, that monkey mind, okay? So our resiliency towards uh, this is based on a few things, on towards stress. The hereditary component is really important to how we handle stress and anxiety as a whole, right? It's estimated that genes contribute about 30 to 50% of the development of anxiety disorder, right? But then the other 50 to 70% are epigenetic factors, right? These environmental factors that change our response to that stress, which thus affect our mood and can bring on anxiety. What's another important factor? Your stress history, right? Your history of childhood stress and traumas. Your capacity to handle stress is going to drop if you experience childhood trauma. And I spoke about transgenerational trauma on episode 39. And I spoke about a specific gene called NR3C1. And this is activated from trauma in pregnant mothers and it's passed on to the children. And then the child carries this and then it has a reduced, the child has a reduced capacity to handle stress and thus laying the groundwork for anxiety, anxiety disorders. When we are anxious, we have a disrupted coordination in various parts of our brain. This is why we always feel disjointed when we have anxiety, right? Because the synchronicity between our brain, the parts of our brain that are talking and are supposed to be wiring and firing together, there's, there's a disjointed communication. And you can see this on neuroimaging, right? We also see what else? a lowered heart rate variability. And this is a phenomenon of variation in the time interval between heartbeats, right? And it's measured by the variation in the beat-to-beat -beat interval. It's basically an insight of how stressed you are, right? I have the aura ring on, and in my aura ring, I'll be able to follow through what my heart rate variability is from Monday to Sunday. And I'll see what my numbers are. And it can give a clue into see if you're in sympathetic stress response, right? That's the fight or flight or the parasympathetic stress response. That's the rest and digest. So sleep devices are really good for this. What you're going to see is also a higher heart rate. So that's going to reduce your heart rate variability, which is sort of how it's going to work, right? We, 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 with a higher heart rate, you know, that's your body in sympathetic mode, right? There's danger, clear and present danger in front of you. And you're going to get an abnormal release of corticotrophin releasing factors. The brain is going to release this hormone, and it's a super powerful hormone. And what it's telling is the adrenal glands right above your kidneys to release more cortisol in the body and telling your body that, hey, you're in danger. And that's going to keep looping back to the brain, back to the adrenal glands, back to the brain. And all of a sudden, you have a dysregulated brain to adrenal neuroendocrine system. Evolutionarily, the stress is going to be sustained till the threat is removed. But the problem for many of us is the threat can be long gone, but the stories we tell ourselves tells our body that the threat is still there. And that is when we dig ourselves into a hole. That is when we create the environment for persistent stress. And that's when we create the environment for us to suffer from anxiety over and over and over, right? Animals do the best job of handling this. Animals will run away. Like let's say, let's say a zebra is running away from a lion. It'll run away outrun the lion or the lion gets tired of something. And then you'll see an amazing physiological response in the zebra, right? The zebra will start shaking and breathing really hard. That is the body integrating that trauma, that stress and releasing it. But we humans, we're so sophisticated 
and so stubborn that we hold in that stress and we tuck it in and we try to file it and sweep it under the rug. And then that stress comes out as anxiety later uh, as a disproportionate response to something else in the future. So really the take home for us is going to be paying close attention to what the stories are that are attached to our stress and to our anxiety, because that's what, start, that's what continues perpetuating it through our life. So what are some of my favorite recommendations for anxiety? Man, if you're anxious, you need to train your mind to calm down a bit, right? And I, and I know you heard that before, but first sit. Stop, put down your phone, stop talking to people, just stop, right? There, there is a key and magic to being with yourself. Sit with your anxiety, right? Because what does anxiety want? It wants more than anything resolution. But nothing outside of you is going to understand how you feel. Therefore, it stands to believe that nothing outside of you is going to give you complete resolution or your answer. Only you are. So again, first and foremost, sit with your feelings, sit without judgment. Then, this is, this is the important part, you need to surrender. You surrender to the situation at hand. We have anxiety because we want control. But here's the thing, life is not that way. We can't control every situation. We can't control all the things that happen, quote unquote, to us, or better yet, for us. We have full control of who we choose to be in relation to those things, that we do. We've always had that control, forever. So why not practice that option to change how we perceive our situation and who we choose to be? What parts of us are going to come up? So surrender, welcome the anxiety, even thank the anxiety, right? Don't put a could or should or would, don't put a timeline for the resolution. Say, listen, this is what happens with me. The other day I was like, I'm anxious. I'm really anxious. Wow, this is bad. Why'd I say bad, right? Why, 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 not, why isn't it good? Why isn't it good for me? Why aren't I... Why aren't I grateful that my body can mount a stress response to make me feel in my body when I'm stressed. So I welcomed it. I surrendered to the anxiety and I said, I'm going to welcome you. I'm actually going to sit with you, anxiety. I'm going to welcome you for a day, a month, or a year. I don't care how long you're here, but the solution ironically starts when you make that surrender. When you make that claim, that's when it starts. So sit down, surrender, and then all of a sudden, you start to see all of the stories you attach to this inciting threat that may not even be there anymore. And that's when you become really empowered because then you see you are the teller of your stories. And as a teller of your stories, you can close that book. So then when you see those stories from a bird's eye view, you have so much more control at refocusing and changing your perspective. And for me, the perspective's always been, who am I in relation to the situation at hand? What part of me am I choosing to be? There's no wrong or right in this answer, right? At all, that's all relative. So when you refocus the story you made up, you see something more powerful. You see your creation of what you are being in relation to this. So this is when the fire of anxiety starts tempering. So don't forget those words. Who am I in relation to the situation at hand? That's how you empower yourself. And then you say, I'm going to surrender for however long it is. I'm at peace. And I'm going to listen to the stories that I've told myself about this. And this is how you ascend from anxious states. What else? Go out in nature. you got to get bathed in negative ions. Tell me someone who went on a hike and he's even more angry than they were before they went on the hike, right? Go out in nature. Get those negative ions. We know what science says about the negative ions implication in reducing stress, right? Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. The same thing as the grounding has the same effect with the negative ions of being in nature and bathed in nature. So if you could do both, then you're doing really good. Movement, go for a walk, go for a run, do yoga, dance. I don't care what it is. Just move that energy, right? You're going to be reducing your cortisol and start releasing those endorphins in your body. Get off your phone. Stay off your phone unless you need it because the phone is going to be 
counterproductive to reducing that stress. The phone is going to be counterproductive to you realizing what your stories are. That sustained blue light is going to disrupt your circadian rhythm. And we know that a disrupted circadian rhythm is going to activate a part of your brain that is associated with reduced learning and anxiety. So don't give yourself more anxiety. And of course, that disrupted circadian rhythm is going to affect your sleep. And we know if you ain't sleeping right, your mood ain't right, your hormones ain't right, another precipice for, you're on the precipice for anxiety. Okay, so supplement-wise, this is not medical advice, but I'll give you some of my favorite supplements. Ask your doc about magnesium glycinate. Very easy, very safe, very helpful, right? How about daily adaptogenic herbs and mushrooms? These help the adrenals adapt to environmental stressors. I love holy basil. I love ashwagandha. I love rhodiola. There's so many more. Uh, also check your MTHFR status, right? This, If you've been suffering with chronic anxiety and you did all these things that I mentioned, but you've been suffering from chronic, chronic anxiety, you may have a polymorphism. And this is an important enzyme, MTHFR, that is connected to mood disorders, including anxiety, right? So if you have this polymorphism in the body, this may be the root cause of your anxiety in the first place. So get that tested out. Everyone should. And then your doc may give you some activated B vitamins or SAM-E, S-adenosylmethionine. So all these things could be really helpful. But remember, supplements are going to supplement the stuff that I said in the beginning of these interventions. Those interventions are most important, right? So if you're suffering with anxiety... Know that there's so many tools that you have, more than you maybe even realize, and you can do so much, so much groundbreaking change if you just listen to your body and stop and surrender and get out in nature and empower yourself. There's my knowledge bomb. All right, everyone. Today's special, special guest is out here from Arizona, Kelsey Heenan. She is the brains behind Hitburn which is really the fitness, physical side of overall health. And she has a daily Kelsey, which is really the mindset part of it. So without further ado, thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah. excited to be here. Yeah, all the way from Arizona. So so word on the street, and by street, I mean you just told me, you're moving <laughs> out here to LA. I am. I'm very excited. From Arizona? Yes. Okay. And do you prefer LA over Arizona? I think so. I've never lived in LA. I've lived in Orange County, but mm -hmm. I love cities and I've been out here basically every month for different projects. So mm -hmm. it just kind of makes sense. And you're a busy person. You say you're out here for business meetings already. Yes. So you're already putting your roots down before yeah. you even move. Yeah. I'm so excited. And a lot of friends live here and it's just cool opportunities. So I'm excited. So, I, so you just told me about Hipburn. I just mentioned about Daily Kelsey. You, you, you're sort of emphasizing the importance of the mind and the body, right? Yeah. Which is how it should be because there's a lot of fitness gurus out there that are completely missing that whole mindset thing. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's so important to have great workout programs and people who understand how to help people improve their fitness and their health through, you know, nutrition plans and things like that. Uh, but there's also a huge piece, the, the mind body connection and understanding that, you have a relationship with food and it can be good and it can be complicated. And so it can be complicated for a lot of different reasons. And so helping people understand that and how to improve their relationship with food and exercise in their bodies is what I really love doing because it's often a missing component. Yeah. And you have a story behind that, which is I, I, how I discovered you really through um, Sean's show, the mm -hmm. Model Health Show. And it was a really telling story because it resonated with me. And mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting that disordered eating, and we'll get into it, is not just for women, which a lot of men may think, but t 
tons and tons of men are suffering with this too. Eating disorders and disordered eating doesn't discriminate against gender, age, um, ethnicity. It, it really can affect anybody and everybody. And so it's an important conversation to have that it's not just one specific type of person that gets impacted. Yeah. And, and I, and that, that was the big surprise behind listening to you on there. So, um, I guess if you don't mind, maybe we could just talk about like what your experience is with it. And, um, if there's a spectrum of it, right? Because mm -hmm. on one side we see really a, a deep stronghold of disorders of eating and then others we see like glimpses of it. Right. And maybe we can get into that because it's important for, I'm sure that a lot of these listeners and viewers are suffering with something because there is so much out there. Right. Eat this, not that. There's literally posts on Instagram that say, eat this, not yeah. this, do this, <laughs> do that. So um, I want to get into all that because I know that you have so much to say about it. Yeah. Do you want me to share yeah. a little bit about yes. my story? Yes, 100%. All right. So uh, a shortened version, and you feel free to mm -hmm. dig deeper. I'm an open book. But back in college, so around between 2007 and 2009, I was a basketball player. I played um, at a pretty high level. It was a small school, but we played all the top D1 schools preseason. And so moving across the country was a big deal for me in in you know, just a lot of transition and a lot of people in, at that age go through a lot of transition. So I moved from Minnesota to California. I was playing basketball at a high level, starting college for the first time. I'm a type A personality. So I, I tend to be very driven and a perfectionist by nature. And so all of these things kind of came together at once. And I realized, you know, I'm not getting the playing time that I'm wanting. I've always been the best. I want to figure out how I can get better and improve. So I decided to really start working harder in my workouts and improve my nutrition. And uh, over time, I would get more playing time if I really improved those things. So I started putting different rules into place for my nutrition. I started getting in more workouts, doing more runs. And I had the best of intentions where I thought that this was just to help me perform better, but it was also something that helped me feel less anxious because I had a sort of sense of control around my life when a lot of things felt in chaos. So I put these things into place and very quickly things snowballed where I, I would allow myself certain foods, but not other foods. And then it became certain amounts of food. And eventually I got to the point where I counted every single thing that went into my mouth, every single bite, every single lick of a food. And I became really, really restrictive. I lost 30% of my body weight within a few months. I am five foot 11 and a naturally, you know, more slender person. And so I didn't have any weight to lose. And I it got to this point where all my friends were noticing, uh, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband started noticing and he said, what's going on? You're not acting like yourself. You're falling asleep at 8 PM, just all these things. And I, I had a couple of freak out moments that really scared me and really made me realize this isn't just me trying to be healthier. There's something going on here. And I, I, eventually got to the point where I had to uh, go to the doctor, get diagnosed, and I went into treatment after that. It was um, a really scary time because when I went to the doctor, uh, the doctor told me that my heart rate was so low and that I was so fragile that if I went for a walk, I could go into cardiac arrest. Mm. I was 20 years old, mm. an athlete. I had always been in tip-top shape, and so that was a really scary thing for me. And a lot of things happened, a lot of different stories where mm -hmm. it was just, oh my goodness, what is happening in my life? I'd always been in control and I thought I was controlling this thing, but it was controlling me. Yeah. Wow. That's the, and, and really to, uh, to, to think that 
something as as really just benign as, okay, yeah, I'm going to just eat a little bit better for my athleticism can turn into something way deeper. Mm -hmm. And um, one interesting thing that I heard is that you had all of these opportunities to go, oh, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. But, uh, and this is when, when I was listening to your show, I, I was like, wow, it's interesting because the opportunity is there for you to be like, all right, let me walk away. But you're like, you took it as a moment of like, yeah, I'm kind of proud that, you know, the scale says this mm -hmm. or, you know, my genes are falling off, mm -hmm. which kind of blew me away because we always have these opportunities, but we don't even listen because yeah. it's that deep. Right. And that's, that's the thing where it's like, there's this fine line between being disciplined and disordered. And, and there's this spectrum that people kind of go back and forth between that can be really challenging to navigate. And especially when it comes to relationship with food and exercise, that can be something that's really challenging. You know, like that example that you were just giving where I had been restricting my food so much um, and over-exercising compulsively. Um, one time I got out of the shower in my dorm room and I, I turned around uh, to dry off and I looked at my back and it was skeletal. I, I could see every single rib, every single bone in my body. And I had this panic moment where I was like, that is not me. Who is that person? Mm -hmm. And then in the other side, I was like, you're doing great. And so it was this weird devil on my shoulder, angel on my shoulder, battle within my mind where I knew that something was wrong, but then I also was super excited that I was making progress. And so that same moment, I walked out um, into my room, grabbed my favorite pair of jeans, pulled them up, buttoned them, and they fell off. And I, I, I was so scared, but also like, wow, I'm going down a size. And, and this is something that I, I never really, like weight loss wasn't necessarily a goal for me. It was just like this weird subconscious thing where it's like, if I get skinnier, then I'm going to be better. And there's no like necessary health correlation, yeah. especially as a basketball player. That yeah. didn't make sense, but that was what I was trying to do. Mm. And, and so your sense of self was tied into completely how skinny you were. Yes, completely. And, and you know, being disciplined enough to say yeah. no to things. And I was, you know, I, I was with my teammates, uh, my old teammates from, you know, back then we, we just got inducted into the hall of fame, which was super fun. Cool. So this was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, Thank cool. you. And so I was just with a lot of teammates and, uh, they, you know, have heard my story over the last couple of years as I've shared more and more. And they're like, I had no idea that you were going through that until, you know, I, really went downhill yeah. because they, I was always the healthy one who was choosing the salads and I got a lot of positive reinforcement for my healthy choices, but really it was this restrictive food rules that I put into place where I could never allow myself to eat the things that they were eating because I had to be disciplined. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that this, and what you said is really, really important because that's what resonates with me. It's a fine line between discipline and a disorder. Mm -hmm. And when we were talking before we gone on air yeah. is back in uh, like around 2006, I was in college, right? And I came from, I come from New Jersey and everyone's got to look good. And at sure. the time, everyone wanted to be really big and muscular, yeah. right? That was like, God, that was the thing. Think about, <laughs> think Jersey Shore. Yes. Um, so me and my roommates would always work out and we'd be so into really what we put in our, in our mouth, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm -hmm. and, but it was all, it wasn't, nutritive food. It was just mm -hmm. like macros, counting right. macros. So as long as I hit the macros, so I was telling you that I had this book 
and it had calorie, fats, protein, saturated fat, sodium. Mm. And it was, it, was, it was like an anchor to my life. And I can't imagine how deep it goes for people who go down that spectrum. Totally. Right. It's, it's so interesting. And, and I'm so happy that you're sharing that because I know a lot of people live in that space. And now it's probably my fitness pal, where instead of a notebook, they're yeah. counting every single thing that they're eating. And I understand that, uh, understanding nutrients is super important and, and understanding, you know, what is in food to be a healthy person is really important, but there's this wave where it just becomes really obsessive and is really challenging for people to overcome mentally. And that, that then, you know, crosses that line of, okay, I'm trying to be healthy, but I then hate myself if I go over my macros by mm-hmm. 3% or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So it's challenging. It, it, and, and it's wild because it totally reduces what food is. Yes into literally for however it works with somebody. Someone may be like, this makes me fat. This doesn't. For me, it was like, will it take away from me being lean and cut? Mm. Yes or no? Like, does it make you fat basically? And I, and literally everything. And it hit the peak when I remember we were all hanging out and we were making drinks and I, I literally counted the calories of like a little bit of vodka. I measure the vodka and I put it in there and I said, Mm what am I doing? Yeah. I go, this is, this is kind of weird behavior, but it still didn't go away mm-hmm. until I remember that it really got into my head when I was talking to this um, waiter mm-hmm. and I was literally trying to find out everything that goes into whatever was being cooked so I can calculate in my head how much oil they used. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I would know how many calories because I knew I was already right. in it already. So I was doing this rough calculation going out to eat and I said, holy shit, this is not a way of life. Yeah. And that's when it started changing. But Mm. people don't have those aha moments all the time, correct? No, not at all. And I've worked with so many people who struggle with that. And, you know, I I understand the the want to, you know, change how you look. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to change how you look and, Mm -hmm. and make adjustments to that. But the methods that you choose to do that can impact your mental health can impact how you view yourself and your confidence. Um, and then it also, yeah, it's just a really challenging thing if that becomes an all or nothing mindset. And that's such a gray area for so many people. So then is the climate and fitness, which I'm not super, super into, like I'm not on all the fitness pages. Is that the climate still? Is it just now using different uh, methods like technology? You said my fitness pal, yeah. we have Instagram posts that say, stay away from this completely. Yeah or you're evil right? (laughs) and eat this because you'll be a good person. Is that how it is still the climate? It's so interesting because there's, there's different camps, right? There's the, if it fits your macros camp, um, there's, there's an intuitive eating camp as well, where, um, it intuitive eating basically is the absence of food rules and, uh, honoring hunger and fullness and things like that. So it's, it's very opposite in that sense. And so that community, the intuitive eating community will, will, you know, show a lot of like donuts and things where it's like, this is making my yes. heart happy. And I'm, I'm choosing this because I can and, and things like that. And so the other communities will be like, well, then you're completely ignoring nutrients. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be like, well, you are completely ruining your mental health. And so it's, it's this, okay. These I've things, seen that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These things can coexist and there can be balance created. Everyone's balance is different. And so understanding that 
it's not wrong to understand nutrients. It's not wrong to honor your body and your preferences. But how do you how do you create that balance? And a lot of people in the intuitive eating community are in this first phase of recovery, and it's like they need to do that and have the complete absence of food rules to be able to get over disordered eating, to be able to completely heal their relationship with food. And how could we fault them for that? Mm-hmm. And I understand, you know, if someone is struggling with uh, binge eating or or um, obesity or something like that, they could. Uh, the other camp will say, well, how could you say that nutrients don't matter because these people are struggling with this completely? So it's understanding the relevance of all of these things and helping them fit together as an individual. Mm, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think that there's a version of that in my space, which yeah. is like totally like the health and mm-hmm. nutrients and vitamins and organic because um, people completely put themselves in like, okay, I can't touch this yes. because of this. Like right. I read that, I read on this blog that, you know, this has this amount of toxins or, or this protein bar is an organic or this or that. So I push a lot of teaching people, but rules of thumb, like yes. you have to just remember yeah. that these are the things that you need to follow totally. when you go food shopping. But also I always say this, like if I'm on the road or in the airport, and I'm hungry, I'm going to eat yes. what, what they have. And unfortunately, most airports don't have fully organic, <laughs> gluten-free, non-GMO. They don't know. <laughs> so, and, and, and same thing, like I'll go out to eat and if I'm with my family, I won't even question it. Mm-hmm. But that flexibility is really liberating. I can't imagine because totally. then you're a prisoner. Completely. And it's like, it, it could all be with amazing intentions, right? I, I want to feed my body things that are organic and come from a locally sourced place because I have the best intentions. But then it, it can also go into uh, more orthorexia where you have, you have put these rules around food. It's either healthy or it's not healthy. Kind mm-hmm. of like what you were saying with, mm-hmm. with how you were viewing macros before. There's lots of ends of the spectrum in different ways that um, you might not have a clinical eating disorder, but it goes so much far like beyond there's anorexia and bulimia. There are lots of different types of disordered eating. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people and remind them, our bodies are so incredible that mm-hmm. they can handle so much. They're so resilient that, you know, one non-organic protein bar at the airport ain't going to do much. Yes. This is, we're talking about every single daily habits, 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 mm-hmm. which is the huge thing to understand and break. When I was listening to your show, also you talked about intuitive eating, but you also spoke about how, okay, some people might go intuitive eating. That means they're going to eat pizza every single day, but it's not necessarily that, right? It's listening to your body. Uh, Absolutely. And a part of that is, is kind of that first phase where if you have a lot of disordered eating habits and food rules and things like that, having a period of time where you break those habits and overcome those things, if you have some serious um, issues with that is really important. And then once you have a strong foundation of understanding that foods don't need to have labels, no food is good or bad or clean or dirty. Food is Either it has more nutrients or maybe it has less nutrients or different types of nutrients, but it doesn't need to assign these labels because when it has a, when it, they have those labels, it often assigns a morality to it. And people will say, if that's a bad food, I eat that food, I'm a bad person. And so whether it's subconscious or not, it it's a reality that so many people live with. And so uh, when you're thinking about eating intuitively and then also understanding how to eat mindfully, it's, it's again, a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And you know, sort of like, uh, okay, well, I have this freedom, but I'm not going to eat pizza every single right. day because it's just not something that I'm intuitively drawn to anymore. Yes. Like maybe I want some broccoli. Maybe I want some really dense nutrients for my body. Totally. And and because people say that, right? They're, if I... If I could eat pizza every day, 
I would just only eat pizza. It's not true. No, no. it's like try it. Yeah. Try it, man. I eat think I pizza. did in college. Yeah, right? <laughs> After a while, you're going to realize that eating all the pizza all the time, you're probably not going to feel that great. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also going to lose that lust factor. Mm -hmm. If you're having it every single day, then it's like, it's just another pizza. It's not that big of a deal. And once you realize that these foods are not that big of a deal, it takes off that pressure. And like you were telling me the story about going to a party and, and, you know, wanting to have 10 cookies instead of two, mm -hmm. because it was your only opportunity to have it. So many people live in that space yeah. and it's a really freeing feeling when it's like food is not scarce. No food is scarce. You could have it at any time. And when you truly believe that and internalize that, you can be mindful. You can be intuitive. You can make choices for nutrients. You can make choices for your culture, for mm -hmm. your friendships, because this is grandma's Christmas cookie that she makes every single year. And mm -hmm. I, this is a part of my uh, celebration. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. so many reasons to enjoy food. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. The disorder mm -hmm. relationship, you have that opportunity to indulge in foods that are not necessarily part of your quote unquote diet. Right. And you go crazy. Yeah. You go crazy. I binge on so many cookies one time mm -hmm. and I was like, what have I just done? <laughs> you know, for sure. It's horrible. And, and allowing that freedom, knowing that like, okay, yeah, sure. It's someone wants dessert for after dinner, you mm -hmm. know? Great, let's eat it and right. enjoy it. I don't even think anymore. But unfortunately, that's what we're seeing. A lot of people stuck in that yeah. that prison. So for you, you you were you were going through this, you know, in college. How did you how did you flow out of it to mm -hmm. where you are and being able to teach people now about this? Because that's that's a big feat. And I know you're you're proud and I know your husband's proud, but it's an amazing thing that you're doing now. But yeah, when did it shift? What happened? Yeah. So I got so sick that I needed to go to treatment. It was a very essential thing for me. And so I'm very thankful that I had the support of Dennis, who uh, was the one who originally confronted me. And then my parents uh, were also very supportive and really urged me to get treatment right away. So I went to treatment at UCSD. They have a family-based therapy program. And that was a really, I mean, it was the worst, but it was the best, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. uh, because it, it forced me to really start digging into all of these things. And it was amazing because it's family-based. So Dennis went with me and my mom went with me. And so it was cool because we would have sessions separately. We would have sessions together and it allowed me to start working through the things that I needed to work through. And it also gave them tools to be able to help me better because I think a lot of people and rightfully so, don't necessarily understand how to help people. And so it's like they want to be an ally, but they don't know what's helpful. So that was a really important experience to start the healing process. Yeah. And, and so you it, that was like the catalyst, right? Yes. When having the support of your family, because when you left, you now had a boyfriend at the time yep. and a mom who knew how to work with you and mm -hmm. with, with whatever's going on. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yep. So how long did it take to really come to a mindset where you're like, okay, mm -hmm. my relationship is better. Yeah. So right out of treatment, the, the process was, I don't choose any of my meals. My meals get chosen for me by my mom or Dennis. And so I, wow. it was, it was a big surrender of the control that I thought I had. And I knew, like, I came to this point where I was like, I, I want this so badly and in the sense of I want to hold on to this disorder that I have because it gives me control. Mm -hmm. But then I also so badly was like, I'm just sick of being sick. I'm sick of feeling this constant anxiety, this stress. I'm sick of hating myself every day. Mm. And so 
in the moments of clarity, I would, I would surrender that and allow them to choose my meals and I would fight back. I mean, I had many moments. There was one time, but my first meal in treatment, I was there and in treatment, it was this cohort of girls that were with me. So it was me, I was 21 and there was two 16 year olds, a 14 year old and a nine year old that were with me. And the, the first kind of meeting was our families went out and got a meal for us and brought it back and we all had to eat together. And they got our biggest fear foods. Mm. So for me, it was this giant bowl of pasta. I hadn't eaten pasta in forever and it was a huge no-no for me. So I started eating, quote unquote eating, <laughs> and uh, there was some uh, noodles, vegetables, and chicken. And so I started eating little bites of the chicken, little bites of the vegetables. And the therapist said, Dennis, uh, what do you notice Kelsey doing right now? And he said, she's not eating any of the noodles. And, uh, so she was like, okay, to my mom, uh, Pat, will you put some, uh, what, what portion you feel is acceptable for Kelsey to eat a normal portion for her to eat. So my mom puts a couple scoops on my plate and I'm just like super pissed and like whatever. And then Dennis runs in and he's like, Oh no, no, she can eat way more than that. <laughs> and oh, he Dennis, yeah. proceeds <laughs> to dump the entire plate of pasta onto my dish. And I lost it. I mm. just, went wild. I started crying and yelling, like, how could you do this to me? You know, I can't eat this. Mm. Like I'm a very calm person. Mm -hmm. I, it takes a lot to piss me off. Mm. And so to have that type of uncontrollable outburst yeah. was so not common for me. And it was humiliating in front of these children mm. that I was with. And I'm like, I am the adult here adult patient here, mm -hmm. <laughs> I should be able to control myself. But it was so interesting, the experience that I went through where I had the same types of reactions as a nine-year-old mm -hmm. to, to food. And that's where it, it comes in. It's like, it doesn't matter if you are 85 years old or nine years old, these types of compulsions and, and anxieties are real for everyone who's experiencing them. Wow. Wow. What that, That's quite the story. Um, hooray, Dennis. That, yeah. that was the move right there. Right? Huh? Yeah, that's when you knew you wanted to marry him or a little bit later? I, mean, <laughs> I was really angry Maybe at him. you didn't want to marry him that moment. Yeah, but it's like in sickness and in health, right? Yes. Like that's, that's a true uh, example of that yeah. where it's like I was so angry with him, but I knew that he was right deep down and I hated it, mm -hmm. but he was mm -hmm. and I ate it. So you So now you have this company, right? Yes. So, and your brand. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more. So how we're helping people with mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Fast forward through like after treatment, it like a year later, I was symptom free. I did a lot of hard work to do that. So eventually like, you know, a couple years, even after that, I was very conscious about not having any sort of food rules. And if something gave me a pang of anxiety, I knew I had to eat it. Oh, and so really? that was something that I put into place for oh. myself where it's like, if I saw pizza and it scared me, I'm like, Face your fears, girl. Let's get it. And and so I would eat it regardless of if I, you know, felt like I needed more nutrients. Like that, that was part of my healing process. After a couple of years, I was able to learn how to be mindful and not have rules around food. So I mm. could eat donuts if I wanted it, but I could also understand when I needed broccoli. That it's exposure therapy, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like from day, it sounds like day one yeah. in, in the in the treatment and then coming out. So you were so in touch with your emotions around food. Mm -hmm 
that you literally force yourself to say, oh no, like yeah. I, I can't have this. Damn it. Now I have to eat it. Yes. Yeah. And, and honestly, that was a huge thing for me. It, uh, allowed me to, to get to the point where I did not and do not have anxieties around food anymore. Mm -hmm. I understand my body so well that it's like, I, if I'm hungry, I know that I need to eat. And I often am like, okay, I know that I need some protein and veggies today. I had some pizza last night. Mm -hmm. My body probably needs some nutrients today or gosh, I'm just really feeling like a donut this afternoon. Let's do it. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's understanding your body so well and giving yourself that ultimate permission that really provides a lot of clarity. And this is what we need to get more in touch with. Yeah. Understanding our impulses of what our body wants. Yeah. We have lost, and this is what I tell people. And I've actually put up a whole big story. I said, don't listen to me, listen to your body. Yes. It, I did a whole, you know, I put, put a whole caption, but then at the end I ended it like that because mm. we completely uh, lose our power to different authorities, mm -hmm. which are there to guide us. Yes. But I don't know your truth. I don't know mm. what your body wants. Yeah. I don't know how your body's going to react. I'm giving you my rules of thumb. And having that compass is so important. Totally. Just not only around food, just literally around life. Everything. How does my body feel around this person? Yes. Oh my gosh. This situation, mm -hmm. right? Because we've been blessed with that sense of intuition mm -hmm. and that I have a tattooed on my wrist for a reason because oh. it's, it's my compass, but it's literally been your compass around food and apparently life because you become so successful with what you're doing. So oh, you follow you. your intuition in many other ways too, apparently. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's really cool when you allow yourself the space to learn and then the grace to, to learn along the way as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so to answer your other question, um, yeah, a few years later, I didn't want to talk about it for a while because I didn't want my identity to be wrapped up in that. So for yeah. a few years, I didn't talk about anything. And then, um, uh, I really realized I have a lot to share in the sense that I, I want to help people feel empowered to be healthy and to understand that fitness can make you feel amazing. Athletics has been such a huge part of my life for my entire life. Um, and it gave me so much confidence when I was younger and shy and couldn't talk to anybody. I knew that through basketball, I could express myself. Mm -hmm. So utilizing that to help people feel empowered, but then also helping them realize it doesn't have to be this super gnarly, all or nothing thing. So I knew that I had a unique voice to share in that and to allow people to step into that for their own lives. And so Dennis and I started Hitburn and I, I joined online fully in 2014 and we did a bunch of different iterations of it and it's just been growing since then. And then about two years ago, now I started the Daily Kelsey, which is my more personal brand where I talk about relationship with food and exercise. A perfect compliment. Right, you. you can't you can't just go into fitness and think where is the mindset on this. The mindset and the fitness are tied intimately. It is. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can have a we can have a great physical aesthetic, but we can be a, a mess. Totally right between our ears. And that's the thing too. I think that a lot of people say, "Well, I'm not severely underweight or severely overweight, so I don't have an eating disorder." And it's like maybe you don't have a you're not anorexic or you you know aren't obese, but if, if the mindset is, is if you're stressed about everything that you're eating, or if you're extremely anxious about missing a workout, you maybe don't have a clinical eating disorder or exercise disorder, but there's something that needs to be healed in mm -hmm. your relationship with food, exercise in your body. And then there's a whole spectrum of people in that. So it's like your feelings are relevant. Your story is relevant and your body size isn't always an indicator of what's going on in your head. Mm -hmm. Have you in throughout the years looked to see if there's a, a true pre predisposition to this or is it because some folks 
can have a healthy relationship, yeah. but also really be like, oh, I missed the gym. I got to go. I got to go. I got to yes. go without being disordered. Right. So as far as genetic predisposition. Yeah. 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 You... So there's research going on right now. And I, was, I actually participated in a study that's mm. currently going on because they're still trying to find more people who are recovered to be able to study. So I got my brain scanned. Um, and it's, it's really interesting just, you know, having scans of people who are currently sick with anorexia, what I was sick with, and then recovered and, and looking at the differences in the brain, it really does impact. I mean, I cannot tell you how, how different my thinking is, not just in my relationship with myself and food and everything, but I would, I, I went to pick up my mom. I was going to school in Orange County and I tried to pick her up at Long Beach Airport. I got lost for two hours. Mm -hmm. I, I just could not, I, I could not get there. Mm -hmm. Google Maps existed. <laughs> Let's keep this in oh, mind. Yeah. I just, my, my mind was just so foggy. Yeah. And, and so it, um, that research is, is still being done, but there are a lot of indicators that there could be a genetic predisposition. predisposition. Yeah. In incredible. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting. I would love to actually look more into that. I don't remember learning about a genetic predisposition in school, Yeah. but, um, I'm going to look more into that. Yeah, but, yeah it, and really it's interesting. interesting. There could be. I mean, if you look at uh, often the types of people who go through maybe restrictive eating disorders, often it's more of like the type A personality, mm -hmm. people who are driven, like things like that. So there, are, it's not always the case, but it's like it could be a factor. The control, the control portion of it, because some people release, relinquish their control pretty easy. They're mm -hmm. just like, that's fine, it'll work right. out. Right. Versus like that type mm -hmm. A, right, which is sort of like. It's it's you as you mentioned, yeah. and I'm like I jump in there. Sometimes I jump out, totally. but like uh, I know exactly what it is to yes. be like extra assertive. Mm -hmm. um, great. So what are your then? What are your plans now? So what are you going to do? Um, any any big plans coming up? You're going to write a book? What's going on? I'd love to write a book. Yeah. I think that'd be super fun to I think do. It'd this be year. great. Oh, thanks. I I would love to do that. So that's definitely in the plans of things that I want to be working on um, with Hipper and my fitness company. We're, we're really, we love doing challenges. We do four challenges a year. And that's something that is, it's a really powerful experience because it's all online, you know, so I'm not seeing people in their day-to-day -day journey, but these challenges are a really amazing way to have people all over the world come together and, and be able to improve their health and fitness. And in a way where it's like, they, they experience so much freedom where so many programs are so strict and rigid. It's like they can change their bodies, yeah. but then their minds are still yeah. um, a mess. So I love those experiences. And then um, with the Daily Kelsey, I love just connecting with people. Um, I'm, I do some coaching and group coaching and have some uh, eBooks and things like that on that side as well. Awesome. Awesome. I love to hear that. Um, so, and how do what, you have a website? Yes. So thedailykelsey.com is where people can find stuff about my relationship with food and exercise and all that stuff. And uh, then Hitburn. So H-I-I-T-B-U-R-N.com mm -hmm. is where you can find the fitness stuff. And the Instagram? Instagram, thedailykelsey. And then also Hitburn is for the fitness. Awesome. Awesome. Everybody yeah. listening, viewing, go follow it. There's so much value in there. Um, Thank you for coming here. Thank you for enlightening us. Thank you for sharing your story. I'm sure that more than a few people are going to relate because I am over here mm -hmm. on the other side being like, I get it, yeah. 100%. So uh, again, thank you for coming up. We're so excited to have you in LA. Thank you. And uh, and we'll have you back, let's say the summer or the fall. Yes. You got to be back. Absolutely. I'd love to. Okay. appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Kelsey, for that beautiful interview. I really hope all of you were empowered from that. 
I learned a few things about relationship to food and, you know, opened my opened myself up about my relation to food in college. So it's interesting to see how many people suffer with a poor relationship with food out there. Um, so in any case, uh, beautiful interview next week, got some fire coming. So thank you for tuning in, rating, reviewing, subscribing, tell everyone you love, tell everyone you care about, tell everyone you don't even like to listen to the show. Mm-hmm.